it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is James Stasekull. He is a military historian, an author, was a Green Beret for 23 years with the U.S. Army Special Forces, living and operating in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. He's here to talk today about his latest novel, part of the Steak Eater Chronicles, called Dead Hand. James, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, thanks for inviting me in, Terrence. It's great to be here. Great. <laughs> nice snowy day. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, nice sunny day in uh, January. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and how you came to write it? Oh, um, I'll try to make this the short version. Um, okay. I, I, I've always been interested in storytelling, and um, quite frankly, um, now now that I'm done with my 35 years of government service, I kind of look at, at it as a... It was the preparation for my writing. I've written right. about eight books now, and some of them are military history, which I enjoy to do, but also I've always been interested in telling stories. Right. And, and Dead Hand is sort of a current affair story. It steps forward instead of backward, like most of my books. Mm -hmm. uh, and it anticipates what's going on in Ukraine right now, uh, what the Russians are doing and how they might try to expand out further. And we go from there. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how a lot of people will look at a current event like that with a uh, certain slant of what they feel it should be or what the uh, or, or from the political aspect. But when someone like you take like you takes a look at it, it's usually from more of a tactician and military point of view. Uh, it is, um, you know, the Cold War went from 1945, well, actually 1949 to about 1990, and then everybody said, oh, the Cold War is over. Right. But it never went away. Uh, and people have been anticipating Putin for a long time. And when I, when I finally saw him move into um, Georgia and then into Ukraine, I, I said to myself, this this is not going to end where we think it is. It's going to end a little bit further west. Uh, Putin wants to reestablish imperial Russia. Right. That's what we're looking at. And that's what the book is about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's, um, you know, it, it's interesting, too, when, when someone like you, like you takes a, a look at this kind of uh, situation with your background, you certainly have a unique perspective on it, uh, both from what the military aims are going to be and also the political aims as well. Uh, that's that's very true. I mean, uh, from the people I've talked with over the years, be they Russian or Americans or British, I take a lot of that. Uh, my military experience, um, when I was in the army, we were oriented towards Europe uh, and the Russian or the Soviet threat. Mm -hmm. And then later on with the CIA, um, I got to see that side of the world. And so all those things, um, I bring all those things into the book. 
Right. Yeah. And that's what makes for a really great thriller. Uh, how was this book different for you than some of the others that you've done in your Snake Eater series? The Snake Eater series kind of takes a historical view of things, of things I witnessed, uh, people I knew, uh, people I wish I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I take all those stories and most of them are facts, but they're changed around a bit and put in a different context. And then I, I integrate the stories, but they're, they're all past tense. Um, the right. first one starts out late 70s. The next one is in, in the early 80s. The third one is in the mid 80s. And I was planning on doing another one uh, up into the 90s, but um, Truth of the matter was, I changed publishers, so I kind of wanted to change gears. And so right. this this takes some of my old characters and brings them up to date. And it's actually future. It's it's 2024. Right. I'll yeah. It up, here we are. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Well, eventually, if you write something that's in the future, the uh, the world tends to catch up, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, this time a little bit faster than I thought. <laughs> I know. Yeah, 2024 is is definitely off with a bang. Um, yeah. Now, you've written about eight books, you said. How do you enjoy interacting with your audience? It's, it's always a thrill when authors get feedback from their audience, either positive or negative. Um. I, I enjoy that part of it. The one thing I really don't like is when I get a one-star review on Amazon and then somebody and the person that does that doesn't burn up a reason. Right. You know, I, and that's that's infuriating. But you know, if somebody says I don't like this or that, I can take that in hand and maybe maybe adjust my writing if I feel mm -hmm. like it. Uh, of course, yeah, I like the five-star reviews, but. Um, Right. That's telling me that I'm doing okay. Uh, what I need to know is how I can do better. Right, right, exactly. And, and the one thing you don't have to worry about is getting down the technical aspects of thriller writing because, you know, a lot of times thriller writers will get caught up in the details and get them wrong about things like tactics, terminology, um, weapons, those kinds of things. And some people shrug that off and say, oh, well, they're just being picky -yoon. But I, I've made that mistake myself, and I don't blame the reader for it. I blame me because it was up to me to get it right. So that's one thing you probably don't encourage often. Well, actually, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I, I wrote a parody almost, a, a, short, uh, a short paragraph about one guy, uh, a good guy meeting a bad guy. And, and I... I tried to put in every bit of Tom Clancy technical garbage and or jargon in there, mm -hmm. um, and I put it up on uh, on Facebook, and some people came back and they actually thought that was a good way to write. Right. <laughs> and I said, well, actually, this is satire, but whatever. <laughs> I know it's funny how diverse the thriller community of of readers is because you know some of them will love that jargon and some of them just want the action and some people love books like Lacares or Macaris and talk about they want to hear about the strategy and the uh, the tactics of it all it's, it's it's amazing how diverse the readership is yeah, I agree with you there. There's a, another discussion going on today, as a matter of fact, about that. And 
the difference between a spy novel and a spy thriller. Right. And, and if you look at Le Carre, a lot of his earlier stuff is just a spy novel. The Perfect right. Spy. The Perfect Spy is a great example. Six hundred pages of not very much excitement, but it's all mind games. Right. And then you take it, and then you take a Night Manager, which was, I think, second or third to last, and he he has modified his style. It's shorter. It's more action oriented, and it's a thriller in my mind. And yeah. people are discussing this. Um, you know, some people write. About the weapons, you know, the, the so-called Kalashnikov kid novel. Um, I, I'm sort of in between. I, I like to throw in a bit of excitement because that's that's how it is. Once in a while, you have some excitement, but usually right. it's it's a lot of teamwork, a lot of tedious, boring work that that is required to make the operation go and i try to bring that in to some extent not to bore the reader but to tell them how it really is right yeah because it's also for you too as the artist you need to have some frame of reference that you take from your own experience and and you were able to make what you've seen entertaining because you're not writing a textbook when you're writing uh, a novel it's it's the opposite <laughs> of a textbook yeah, that's that's how I differ from my history. My history is telling the story chronologically as it happened, trying to make a narrative that is interesting. Whereas the novel, I can just I can play with the narrative just as I want, and I can make it any way I, I want it to appear. Exactly. Yeah, that's a lot of the fun of it. Um, how many nonfiction novels, uh, nonfiction books have you written? Uh, four right now and I've got a fifth one that's trying to get through the um, pre-publication review process which I'm required to submit everything I write to the government so they can make sure I haven't given away the, the crown jewels <laughs> right yeah I know that part yeah the uh, the approval process there can be a little bit daunting I, I've known several authors who came out of mil of uh, federal service and had to do the same thing yeah my first my first book that was about the American military. It took 16 months to get through the clearance process. Wow. The, one I have in, the one I have in currently now is on 11 months, and hopefully it will get done fairly quickly, I hope. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would imagine it does. Now, with your nonfiction work, have you centered on anything that is uh, any particular part of history? Uh, is there one era that really excites you more than the others? Um, I am interested in special operations, especially unconventional warfare, guerrilla operations. I'm interested in things like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, T.E. Lawrence, right. uh, World War One, the OSS and the SOE in World War II, mm -hmm. um, and then writing about the underdog also, um, the German the German army in World War One in Africa. Uh, the underdog there, uh, and where you might have 300 German soldiers fighting against 250,000 British Commonwealth soldiers. Right. Um, uh, so those, those are the kind of things that interest me. Some of the more bizarre things that happen, Zeppelins, of course, um, Boats on Lake Tanganyika, uh, the origin of the story, uh, Humphrey Bogart's uh, movie, uh, Africa Queen. 
Right, yeah. Based based in a true story. Uh, the true story is even more bizarre than the movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> those are the kind of things that I like. Exactly, yeah. I would imagine also, too, the, the readers like them as well. Um, now, do you find that there are more readers out there who like the Tom Clancy style of a lot of technology, um, a lot of tactics, or... Do you think people are more of a of a mix, as we talked about earlier, of Licare and Clancy, and that they that's what they're looking for? I, from what I've seen, I think the, both sides are pretty well populated. Um, I I look at Facebook and um, areas like that, and you've got people that are on the military thriller side who who want the guns and the action. Right. Some of them just want a good story. And the same thing with the spy novels. A lot of people on the spy novels side want want those mind game kind of stories like um, the spy who came in from the gold. Right. Uh, but the other ones want more gun James Bond action. Uh, right. So you've got your Ian Fleming guys and then you've got your Luke Carey guys on the other side. Right. So yeah. They're out there. They're all out there. They are. They are. And it's, you know, it's amazing when you take a look at, at Le Carre's career, I don't know if he would have been able to be published today because his storytelling is so much slower than what the modern reader likes and what the modern reader expects. I love his stuff. I mean, you open any page of any of his books, there's always going to be a beautiful passage there somewhere. But I, I just wonder if he would have gotten a, a publishing deal today with his kind of writing style, even for uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Well, he he uh, he and a few other people, um, Graham Greene and Frederick Forsyth, guys like mm -hmm. that, kind of opened the door, um, the floodgates. Uh, Ian Fleming, of course. I mean, there were yes. people before them, of course, but that was the floodgates. I mean, nowadays there's so many different authors out there, and yeah, I think I think Fleming would would have difficulty. You see, so many good writers now. Um, Two Americans, uh, David McCloskey, who just wrote um, uh, Moscow X, um, right. puts a lot of, of um, realism in his book, but then also the action that you wouldn't see in a Le Carre. And another one, I.S. Berry, who just oh. came out with uh, her, her, uh, her book, um, The Peacock and the Sparrow. Uh, yes. Very good books, very evocative writing. But they're a mix, and they're just a little bit further into the action side, I think, than I am. But um, right. uh, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to channel not so much um, Jean Le Carré, but um, but an American author, uh, Charles McCary. Oh uh, yes, yeah, we talked about him earlier. Yeah. Um, I will never get to where Mick Heron is, him in the slow house, right? <laughs> slow horses. But um, I mean, he he is. He's got the mix of comedy, uh, mind games, and, and action pretty well nailed down. <laughs> yeah, he does. He reminds me, and his style reminds me quite a bit of uh, Len Dayton. Yeah, and his. Yeah, his his fantastic books too, because he would have a, some humor in there, but you you couldn't call them comedies, and they were it was just some stellar writing. Len I, Len might even actually 
uh, outpace Lakare for me just a little bit in terms of preference because I think he could do both. And um, but Lakare, obviously a master who's done it all. And Ilana Berry is 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 wonderful. We've had her on this podcast. She she worked with me on another project. She's just fantastic. I I, I think for the, the genre is in good hands for a long time to come with some good young writers like that. Yeah, that's going to help. Um, yeah, I, I came in as late in the game. I, I hope I get somewhere the readership, maybe one-tenth of what she has, but uh, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just keep trying. <laughs> right, and that's something that the audience, you know, I always try to make sure my audience understands. It's not easy just to, It's not, and it's certainly not enough to just write a book and then say, oh, everyone's going to find it. It is a difficult process to try getting attention for it and try to get sales, isn't it? Yeah, when you when you write the end on your book, that's really just the beginning. Because then comes the editing, the, the promotion, working with the publisher. And mm -hmm. it is, it's a lot of work. I spend a lot of time basically promoting myself. And it's not something that I've ever done in my life. Um, Despite what it looks like in my office, you can see it, but the, the people can't. You know, I, I, I promote myself very highly in this office, but nobody else sees it. And that's kind of what it is when you're you're writing a book. You know, it's it's like what they say about being in the pool and whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. You well, it's a warm feeling, but nobody else knows about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the business of publishing. And I'll tell you. There, there's a difference between uh, self-promotion and bragging. And it's like Sonny Liston said, it ain't bragging if you did it. And yeah. based on everything I see behind you, you did it. So that's not bragging. Um, you know, you, you definitely accomplished quite a bit. Well, thanks for that. And uh, if I, I think the biggest thing about this, you know, the promotion is one thing. I'm trying to get people to read the book, but but my true... My true happiness, if I can say that, is, mm -hmm. is when somebody comes back and says that I really enjoyed that story. And and the stories, like I said, are from my past or maybe in the future a bit. But when I write them, I try to bring in my experiences and the people that I worked with and how I enjoyed that. And uh, that's that sharing that sharing of the stories is is what it's all about. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the special operators have, have really gotten a lot of attention and justifiably so in fiction over the last few years. But isn't it interesting how it started off with, you know, the, the British commandos in He Who Dares Win or Who Dares Wins. It was a, a movie back in the early uh, 80s, if not late 70s. And then it became the Green Berets with Rambo. And now it's kind of the fiction focus has kind of shifted over to the Navy SEALs when it didn't, a lot of people didn't talk about those before. It's funny how the genre kind of moves from special operator to special operator over time, isn't it? It, it is, although, you know, I'm being Army and um, in the Army, we generally have sort of um, a saying, you don't see as many books about special forces, about the Green Berets as you do the Navy. Right. And I, I had someone at the Pentagon tell me that, one of the people at the clearing board. And she says, why is that? And I said, well, we've always looked at ourselves as sort of the quiet professionals. And the histories I've written were very carefully chosen to not include present day people or tactics and things like that. Right. But um, 
but I will go out to some of my reunions with the army guys and they'll tell me about their latest SEALs book that they read. And somebody, somebody told me a joke and says, you, you know what, what the, the new greeting is at the, uh, at the SEAL team two base? And I said, no, what is it? And it's, hey, bud, how's that, how's that book contract going? <laughs> and it's like, and then somebody came up with the, yeah, they've actually integrated into the courses is how to find an agent and a producer. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it goes both ways. They talk about us, we talk about them. Right, exactly right. I mean, you know, alphas are going to complain about alphas, but God forbid anybody else does it, then it's going to be a, a problem as it should be. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's funny. Every I know a lot of people who've served and a lot of people who have books in, in them and say they're going to be the next Jack Carr. But that kind of success, you just don't get in a bottle. You can't buy it. it it's. I always try to tell people who have service or have been special operators that that is a once in a generation of happening and there's a lot of contributing factors to it and it's timing, it's look, it's style. And that's not just there waiting for somebody to pick up and, and walk away with. It, yeah, it, it is a lot of luck. I mean, Ian Fleming had, had a pretty good following in the late fifties and early sixties. But when John F. Kennedy said that one of his books was what he was reading, that, mm -hmm. that you know, just his sales took off. Um, uh, it, it takes a lot of luck. It takes the right, the right people behind you. Mm -hmm. I, I feel fortunate in just being able to get my books published and out there. So that's, that's the big thing. Right. Yeah. And, and by the way, there's no taking away what Jack has accomplished because Jack got an, an opening. He had a chance, but boy, he has taken full advantage of it and God bless him for it. He's, yeah. and he's helped a lot of writers. I mean, he's, 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 he's fantastic. He's an industry unto himself and he's, he's great, but it's just, I always try to have people manage their expectations because writing and, and publishing is hard enough. If you go into it with the wrong mindset saying, if I just do A, B and C, I'm going to get success doesn't happen that way. Um, Brad, Brad Thor is another one. He's had mm -hmm. great success, but he's also been very generous and helping for other people. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah th those are the authors that usually find the most success I've found. So in terms of future stuff, uh, what are you working on now and what can uh, the readers expect to see from you in the future? If you could talk about it. Actually, well, yeah. Um, Two things. Once my current nonfiction book gets out, my history, I'm, I'm planning on doing a, a basically a tour guide of spy spots. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's going to be in Europe. Uh, I won't tell you where, but um, it, it's going to be, I'm probably picking that up this spring. Uh, what I'm working on in the fiction world right now is uh, I'm going back in time uh, to 1956 to the origins of the Special Forces Unit in Berlin. And, oh. and conflict between Special Forces, this won't be anything new, a conflict between the, the Americans, the CIA and Special Forces, and then conflict between them and the KGB and the East German Stasi. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tag team. It's going to be a tag team match of the capitalists against the communists in in 1957 Berlin. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Should that definitely. Fun. 
Yeah, that sounds like it's going to be awesome. We're definitely going to be looking forward to that. Now, what is the best way that people can follow your progress, see what's new with you, your Facebook, social media presence, website, things like that? Well, I'm on Facebook, uh, James Dayskull, writer. Uh, I'm also on uh, um, Twitter, or as it's now known, X, and right. I post on Instagram. I do have a website under James Dayskull, so if you if you Google my name, S-T-E-J-S-K-A-L, just like it sounds, not, <laughs> you can find <laughs> Right. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. And to the rest of the audience, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We'll see you next time, everybody. Take care. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.